the second anniversary of January 6th, democracy in the U.S. and around the world with VT's Mark Dankoff right here, right now on VT Radio. Let's go with host Johnny Punish. Okay, and we're on with VT Radio. Mark Dankoff from somewhere hiding out in Texas. How are you doing today? Pretty good. I'm uh, here in my home studio in San Antonio. There you go. Okay. Hey, Mark, let's get right to it. Let's jump right in. I mean, right now, January 6th, second anniversary. Tell me what's up. What do you think happened? How's it going two years later? Are you Are you satisfied? Are you unsatisfied? Go for it. Uh. I think this thing has been a democratic and deep state fraud from the very beginning. I'd refer people for sake of time to Peter Brimelow's piece on this for the UNS review. Brimelow, of course, is uh, is uh, heavily involved with the, the vdare.com website. But uh, Brimelow's piece for the UNS review is uh, very accessible through Google search. And he talks about a lot of the things that should not come as a surprise to those of us who have seen these kinds of machinations before. I was a part of a conference in 2007 uh, in Orange County, California, called the No More Wars for Israel Conference. Uh, That conference uh, was legitimately set up, peacefully held, and uh, the people who uh, put the conference on, several of whom are known to me, uh, had a legitimate contract uh, with a uh, Marriott uh, hotel in Orange County that subsequently canceled the entire deal uh, after heavy-duty pressure uh, from the usual sources that you might imagine. Uh, in that particular case, however, nothing went wrong in the way of violence, thankfully, uh, but it was a sobering warning to those of us who were a part of that in 2006. That when it comes to public uh, uh, conferences and public demonstrations that are held with the best of intentions, uh, one always has to watch out uh, for deep state operatives who infiltrate these groups who infiltrate those who are there with the best of intentions. Uh, This certainly happened in a much greater fashion at Charlottesville. I know someone who was there undercover as an observer. Uh, They could tell you the inside story of what really transpired at Charlottesville. That does not correspond at all to the official account, where frankly, the entire thing was a deep state setup in regard to the fact that the people who were lawfully demonstrating and had a permit to demonstrate, not only subsequently had their their uh, uh, permit canceled. Uh, and this, of course, involved the uh, the mayor of Charlottesville that involved a Democrat governor of Virginia at the time. And not only was this uh, permit uh, canceled, uh, but those who were told to disperse did so lawfully. And according to my source, who is an impeccable source, I know this person very well, uh, he witnessed uh, the what was basically not only a complete police stand down, in terms of protecting these people who had had their lawful demonstration uh, uh, broken up uh, because their permit to demonstrate legally within certain confines in regard to this Robert E. Lee statue was not upheld. But subsequently, uh, this source of mine actually witnessed uh, these uh, Charlottesville protesters on the right being deliberately steered in a fashion which led them to a 
uh, direct confrontation uh, with these Marxist and left-wing protesters from the university uh, where the authorities knew this was going to happen and the authorities deliberately facilitated its happening. And then when it did happen, uh, of course, the right was blamed uh, in all of the mainstream media outlets uh, for what went wrong. And again, uh, there's there's so much to tell in that story that unfortunately should have been uh, the lessons from that should have been more well learned by those who participated in these events of January 6th, where Brimelow makes it very clear that the vast percentage of these people were were there peacefully and abiding lawfully. Uh, there was heavy evidence of a deep state infiltration on the part of those who were there, uh, who were in effect posing as uh, Trump supporters, uh, who in fact, in regard to their conduct, subsequent conduct, uh, bore every evidence of uh, being operatives for the other side. Uh, and then, of course, we start getting into the whole question of the five deaths that occurred as a result of this demonstration. One was the result of a completely illegitimate use of a firearm by a Capitol Hill police officer uh, who shot a peaceful protester dead who was inside the Capitol facility. Uh, there were other deaths that were attributed to to uh, uh, medical conditions that all involved Trump supporters. This was all suppressed, of course, for the mainstream media. And then last but not least, when we start talking about the uh, conduct of these people who were legitimate Trump people, uh, the Brimelow article testifies to the fact, and, and Vidare has the photographic and the video evidence, uh, they were trying to uh, protect the police uh, and, and to keep the demonstration uh, peaceful. Uh, and in one case, uh, when there were uh, several people that started beating a Capitol Hill police officer, they intervened on behalf of that officer. Uh, and the question arises as to who these people were uh, who started breaking windows and subsequently uh, were engaged in at least one assault of a police officer. So there was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, uh, uh, infiltration of this as there was at Charlottesville and a lot of false flag spin on what actually happened. And we still haven't gotten to the basic point that has never been quite resolved. And that is all of the prima facie evidence that in fact, in my view, uh, there was um, uh, uh, plenty of uh, of things that's, that transpired between election night at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and 7 o'clock the next morning when you had thousands of votes that uh, flipped uh, key battleground states from Trump to Biden. That's never happened before. And certainly when you start looking at the whole business of mail-in ballots and, uh, and uh, election inspectors who weren't allowed to do their jobs in certain highly partisan areas like in Philadelphia, uh, this whole ballot, the business of ballot harvesting and so forth and so on. Uh, what happened on January 6th, in many respects to me, was a different sort of replay in regard to what happened in Charlottesville in regard to folks with the legitimate grievance uh, basically being uh, uh, unwittingly used by forces in their midst and, and forces uh, within the various governmental structures 
that wanted to see things go wrong and then to have a certain spin placed on those events uh, that would go exactly the way that the Democrats and the deep state wanted them to go. Uh, Brimmel, of course, also underscores uh, that no one is talking about several episodes that took place uh, that involved, like, for example, in 2018, uh, these radical feminists who stormed the Capitol, who were protesting the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to become the next Supreme Court uh, justice. Uh, The Democrats were all in favor of that storming of Capitol Hill. Uh, Clearly, you had a situation, as Brimelow outlines it, were in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, there was a period of time, I think he said in 2011, uh, when you had uh, union demonstrators that uh, occupied the Capitol building there for a month. The Democratic Party uh, was, a, was a big cheerleader for all of that. Uh, there was, uh, of course, uh, an entire series of violent episodes leading up to the 2020 election, all of which involved uh, Marxist Uh, and black militant protesters predominantly who are engaging in the most gross acts of, uh, of, of violence and arson and mayhem in our major cities uh, that certainly has ever been seen in modern times. And whether you're talking about Minneapolis or you're talking about Portland or Chicago or Washington, D.C. Or, or any of these major cities, these are all Democrat cities where these Democrat uh, uh, political leaders uh, were obviously in full sympathy with the violent character of these protests, allowed them to go on for interminable periods of time, uh, uh, and basically, were all supportive of the notion of mob rule uh, as long it was as long as it was their constituency engaging in these activities and engaging in them uh, against uh, against Donald Trump and against Trump supporters. Uh, and of course, Brimlow goes on to mention in this article uh, for the UNS review uh, that you had instances of uh, violence uh, being uh, uh, meted out on Trump supporters in some of these situations that resulted in in, uh, in unlawful deaths of uh, Republican and Trump partisans. All of this has been suppressed by a mainstream uh, news media that basically uh, spun all of those uh, gross activities, dangerous activities, anarchistic and Marxist activities in our major cities. That was all okay. Uh, But when it came to Charlottesville and the events of January 6th, subsequently, I think one can argue in both cases uh, that... uh, Certain things were guaranteed to happen because there were provocateurs in the midst of both of these uh, events uh, who got things going, so to speak. Uh, But relatively speaking, uh, the January 6th uh, events were largely peaceful. The people who came into the Capitol were even obeying the the theater ropes that were being used to walk in. Uh, Many police and law enforcement and security people at the time let them into the building, is Brimelow Chronicles. Uh, And then, of course, when some things went wrong, uh, this was all spun uh, to indicate that this was... uh, uh, a level of mob violence and mob rule uh, that uh, simply is not the case. Uh, I don't know of one instance where it was ever proven uh, that uh, any of these Trump people that were there brought a firearm, for example. Uh, no one has questioned the the fact that this uh, uh, Capitol Hill police officer uh, shot to death a peaceful protester who, yes, was within the confines of the Capitol, uh, but basically had been led into the building by law enforcement people who uh, might have even laid down on the job for uh, purposes that we're only beginning to understand. So this this whole thing uh, continues to be spun every January 6th in this fashion. Uh, when, the, when the 
truth of the matter is uh, that the deep state definitely impacted the 2020 election, even if the election count, vote counting was legitimate, and I don't believe that it was. Uh, certainly the New York Post expose on Hunter Biden's laptop and what was in that laptop before the 2020 elections and what is now the provable involvement of the American FBI uh, in working with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so forth and so on and Google to suppress that story. Uh, to keep it from having the kind of wide distribution that it should have had under normal circumstances, and then even and then subsequently to have various public members of the American intelligence community and law federal law enforcement community uh, getting on television to indicate to people that the suppression of the circulation of this story was because there was no truth to it. It was all Russian disinformation. Uh, clearly, uh, there was no Russian disinformation. It has all been subsequently underscored that this New York Post story was totally valid, totally true. Felonious activities apparently were uh, inside of that laptop that, among many other things, would have linked both Joe and Hunter Biden uh, to this uh, February 2014 coup d'etat in Ukraine and to a lot of personal family profiteering that took place in a situation that now has the United States perilously close to being involved in a third world war for no national security purpose, true one whatsoever. So this, this, is, uh, this is the story about January 6th. And when we start talking about the larger issue of democracy, in the state of democracy in the United States and elsewhere, I'd refer people to uh, an article that Chris Hedges penned quite some time ago. It's entitled Our Invisible Government. It really gets into the question of who controls our government and why and how things really work. And so when we start talking about uh, this whole business of social media censorship in, conjun in conjunction with working with the federal intelligence community, when you start looking at the role of central banks and all of this, the Israeli lobby plays a big factor in, in much of this. And the fact that when you start talking about American news media, much like the American educational institutions, there has been a hijacking uh, of our news media, which works in conjunction with the deep state. Uh, and, and so the outcome is that uh, Black Lives Matter violence is okay. Antifa violence is okay. LGBTQ violence is okay. LGBTQ uh, drag queen misconduct in front of children in public places is okay. Uh, all of these urban demonstrations that involved burning down legitimate businesses and intimidating people and beating people and threatening people, that's all okay. Uh, but when it comes, of course, uh, to the violations of civil rights that occurred at Charlottesville, the deep state manipulation of what happened there, and then, of course, the whole business of the fraud of this January 6th business and the way it was spun and the way it was intended to be spun, the way it was planned to be spun. Uh, this is really the state of, uh, of democracy uh, in this country today. It's a, it's a fiction. It doesn't exist. And certainly when we understand the, the mere fact of how these elections are purchased uh, and the, the whole way in which uh, two or three Supreme Court decisions uh, beginning with uh, United We Stand versus FEC, I think, uh, that was the beginning of a, of a revamping in the way that uh, elections are, are purchased in this country and the way that they're financed that basically ensures that democracy doesn't take place uh, and in conjunction with the controlled news media 
and the purchasing of elections and then a deep state involvement in all of this, uh, I would argue that uh, uh, any semblance of American democracy uh, began to plummet after the 22nd of November 1963 uh, and the events of June of 1968 in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. And since that time, it's all been downhill. I have a question for you. So do you think that January 6th will become something like a, a John F. Kennedy assassination, that we're really not going to come down to the truth of everything? It's going to be something in the ether. People are going to debate it left and right. Is that what we're destined to, to go with this, or is it going to be resolved down the road? I think it could be resolved, but not in a fashion that I would wish for it to be resolved. And by that, I mean that I think that Dr. Alan Sabrowski, who agrees with me on the Israeli role in 9-11, uh, of course, Dr. Sabrowski was in the Marine Corps. He was a longtime professor of the University uh, or the uh, United States Army War College. Uh, he's been a commentator for quite some period of time and in all right venues like our own. He's been on uh, Veterans Today. Uh, I think uh, Sabrowski would probably agree with me that uh, there's an excellent chance that this thing in, with Ukraine could go completely awry, particularly if 300,000 uh, Polish troops that have suddenly been amassed there uh, should end up doing the bidding of American neoconservatives and globalists and intervene in Western Ukraine in a fashion that would be like uh, throwing a, ma a lit match into a dry cornfield. Uh, in that event, you could see a situation based upon poll numbers where there would be an entire revolt potentially on the part of Western Europeans and, and, and uh, people living in Great Britain against their governments. They want no part of this sort of thing. Uh, and even and in this country with people like John Bolton uh, back in the news cheerleading for such things to transpire, this could be the time when the American people finally get off of their duffs and say, okay, we're not going along with this. Uh, you know, we, we uh, at least some of us are old enough to remember the Vietnam protests. Uh, that pales in comparison to what's at stake here. We're not going along with this. We want no part of a world war. We want no part of a fight uh, with Russia and China and Iran. When in fact, uh, we couldn't uh, successfully resolve Afghanistan after uh, 20 years of thousands of deaths and, tr and uh, trillions of dollars. Uh, we ended up just uh, walking away from that. Who, who can possibly believe uh, that a war with, uh, with two nuclear powers and with the Iranians can possibly go our way? So in this regard, that could lead to a level of domestic discord that could see average Americans for the first time, Americans uh, going back to what happened to John Kennedy almost 60 years ago, uh, the American public ultimately did not do anything about that. Neither did they do anything about the King and RFK assassinations and the attempt on the life of Governor Wallace in May of 1972, uh, even though there was plenty of evidence in all of these circumstances that higher-ups were involved and all of these involved conspiracies and that in uh, many respects, uh, this was nothing more than government by gunplay. Uh, in all the years since those uh, killings and shootings, we have seen an absolute demise 
uh, in the fortunes of the people of the United States, the Vietnam War, and of course, we get into Watergate, uh, we get into the Iran-Contra affair, uh, we get into the, the situation of more recent years uh, with 9-11 and Bush's war on terror uh, and all the machinations of the uh, neo-interventionists and the Democratic Party uh, who look just like the neocons, except they go by a different name, who uh, brought us all of the horror of the uh, Syrian civil war, the horror of the extrajudicial assassination of Muammar Gaddafi. Question for you. Yes. Um, Trump, okay. Is Trump, what did he do right and what did he do wrong? Trump, I think, had some good instincts. I think he said some correct things about the immigration issue, unvetted, illegal immigration. Uh, I frankly agree with Trump's stated position on the wall uh, and what he attempted to do with that in regard to solidifying the right of any sovereign nation state to control its own border and who, uh, who comes in and out of it. Uh, so on that score, I think Trump uh, largely did was trying to do the right things. I think he was uh, in the business of at least spending less money uh, than you would get out of your average presidential administration on the Democratic side of the aisle. I, uh, I think that Trump made a couple of mistakes in regards to not taking a stronger position on the deep state's involvement in the Charlottesville circumstance and what happened there. I also think you have a situation uh, where when it comes to the events of January 6th, if uh, Trump had properly understood the magnitude of the implications of what took place at Charlottesville, I think he would have taken far greater care to ensure that the same deep state forces that clearly suppressed the New York Post story uh, to the benefit of Joe Biden, the same deep state forces that I do believe were involved in manipulating the electoral results in certain uh, battleground states. This was the same deep state uh, that would definitely have uh, the capability and the desire and the inclination to carry out some sort of operation, as it were, that would cause the January 6th circumstance uh, to be a far greater problem uh, than, uh, than, than Charlottesville could possibly have been. Uh, Trump, in this regard, may have underestimated just how evil his opponents are. I think he uh, underestimated uh, the, the kinds of things that they would be capable of doing, not only to ensure that Biden was, became president of the United States, but ensuring that Donald Trump uh, was not available to run again as a Republican candidate uh, for, the, uh, for the nomination. And of course, uh, there's been a lot of pushing uh, of Ron DeSantis of, of Florida in this regard uh, as an alternative to Donald Trump. The curious thing about that is that uh, Ron DeSantis is the same, uh, uh, has the same uh, Zionist connections that Trump himself does, paradoxically, only arguably even more so. So in regard to this, these are all things that Donald Trump miscalculated on, just as I think he miscalculated at best in regard to having people like Bolton and Pompeo in his administration and of course, Pompeo in particular uh, led Donald Trump down the pathway of commissioning this Soleimani assassination, uh, which essentially, uh, essentially has created a catastrophe for American relationships with Iran, 
that much much like the the Ukrainian war with Russia, uh, the United States foreign policy is not likely to recover from. Trump seriously is facing you know tons of investigations. Um, he's being marginalized and looks like in the Republican Party by certain forces. You know, what's his legacy? What did you write? What did you wrong? Is he done? Is he political cancer? Where, where are we going with this after January 6th, two years? Well, there uh, certainly is an attempt to make Donald Trump political cancer after the events of January 6th. I think when you uh, get into the whole business of, of Trump himself, uh, certainly uh, in regard, as I said earlier, I think Donald Trump's miscalculations uh, with uh, January 6th were largely a failure to understand the events in Charlottesville earlier and the way in which the deep state, uh, which had clearly rigged the 2020 elections, not just electorally, but with the suppression of the New York Post story on the Biden laptop, uh, that Trump should have had it figured that there would be an all-out attempt on the part of the deep state uh, to create an episode on January 6th that would be used to tar and feather Donald Trump forever after. Uh, this and these so-called investigations that have followed uh, all is, is designed to keep him out of the uh, presidential sweepstakes in the next go around in uh, 2024. Uh, whether that's going to be successful or not, I'm not sure. Ron DeSantis would appear to be his main competition. And as I've said before, uh, DeSantis appeals to social conservatives. Uh, DeSantis has the uh, Yale background that uh, is somewhat reminiscent of the, of the Bush empire. Uh, although DeSantis himself, interestingly enough, uh, may or may not belong to any of the secret societies that the Bush people did. But Ron DeSantis has even tighter connections with the Zionist entity than Donald Trump does. I see that as a major problem in terms of my support for DeSantis, much as it was my biggest issue with Donald Trump. His connections with the Zionist lobby, the cancellation of the JCPOA treaty with Iran on a unilateral basis, courtesy of the pressure of the of the Zionist regime, obviously, uh, Trump's mistakes and having people like Bolton and Pompeo around him uh, was a part of this unfortunate package. And then I think the worst thing that Trump did in regard to his legacy and in regard to the long-term implications of this for the foreign policy of the United States was his uh, commissioning of the Soleimani assassination uh, and taking public uh, credit, if you want to call it credit, for having uh, this nefarious deed carried out. I think this was a horrible thing. It was a criminal act. It was a violation of international law. Uh, and he clearly did so at the behest of Pompeo uh, and other virtual Israeli agents that he had surrounded himself with in his administration. In this regard, uh, I think that uh, the, the Soleimani assassination has absolutely sealed the deal in, in, in regard to what I think is the irretrievable character of the American-Iranian relationship with all of the things that began with Operation Ajax in 1953 uh, that uh, continued uh, in the 25 years that followed with the Pahlavi regime. Uh, and then after the Pahlavi regime, uh, the Iran-Iraq war and the American alliance with Saddam Hussein against Iran, all these horrible crimes that were committed in those eight years in a war that was largely uh, carried out by, Iraq, by Saddam Hussein uh, with a strong uh, uh, behest and support of the Anglo-American empire. In that regard, 
uh, all of those types of things, including the Iran Air 655 shoot down uh, during the uh, waning days of the Reagan administration, have con- contributed greatly to a total poisoning of the well in, ter- in the uh, American-Iranian relationship uh, that one can say that JCPOA may have gone uh, some degree toward in, in recovering and repairing that relationship, uh, but then with the withdrawal from JCPOA and then the Soleimani assassination, uh, that to me has sealed the deal in the American relationship with Iran uh, in the same way that the uh, character of this American-British-NATO surrogate war with Russia using Ukraine to do it and this illegitimate regime that we installed in Ukraine in February of 2014 has sealed the deal in regard to what will be, uh, I presume, the eternal distrust of the Russians toward the United States and the Western Europeans and the British in a way that's not likely to be repaired. And of course, the things that have now come out about the admission on the part of Poroshenko, uh, Zelensky's predecessor as uh, president of Ukraine, the things that uh, Angela Merkel has admitted uh, to uh, to the Die Zeit publication in Germany, and that uh, Hollanda of France has now admitted is the case in regard to the Minsk Accords and the Minsk II agreement being nothing more than a tactical deception of the Russians on the part of the Western world in order to buy the time uh, to create in a, a Ukrainian military uh, that would then be used in a surrogate war against Russia uh, by the United States and the West. Uh, I, th- I don't see any way now that there can be any sort of negotiated deal between uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, involving Western powers brokerage, because clearly the West uh, is not a fair broker in this any more than they were a fair broker, as it turns out, especially with the Americans in the JCPOA deal. It's a circumstance now where uh, much as was the case uh, with the Soleimani assassination and the and the total political fallout from that uh, that continues to this day and will continue. The same thing is true now with this mess uh, with the fraudulent character of the Minsk Accords as, the, as uh, Angela Merkel and Francois Hollande have admitted it. Uh, there, there's going to be no recovery of any sort of trust or relationship with the Russians at this particular juncture. Uh, it, it, both, both of these sorry episodes, one involving Iran, the other with Russia, this virtually guarantees uh, that we are going to see longer term, in all likelihood, a military conflict with those countries and with the Chinese thrown in for good measure that simply did not have to happen. And that's the irrecoverable character, I think, of the Trump legacy on a negative basis is the fact that the ramifications of the Soleimani assassination uh, are likely to be perpetual. Well, on that note, Mark, I, I want to say thank you for being uh, on VT Radio today. Um, of course, as a member of VT, I'll be sending you this brand new VT coffee mug uh, that is for all members of VT. So uh, I want to thank you for that. This is brand new for 2023. And to all of our VT listeners out there, uh, we'll give you a free cup if you just uh, join as a member. You'll get that, of course, with the VT Radio logo on it. And Mark, can you tell our viewers and listeners how they can reach 
you, uh, what's happening this next coming week with you, the, the damn cough report, et cetera. Please go ahead and tell us all about that. Yeah, the Dan Koff Report uh, will air live, as usual, on the Republic Broadcasting Network on Friday at 2 p.m. Central Time. Uh, I just uh, completed a show with Andrew Carrington Hitchcock, the London version of the Dan Koff Report, uh, that just posted, I believe, yesterday. Uh, and in regard to f- future things going on, I think you can look for me again at some juncture on both press television uh, and with Sputnik. And then uh, in, in a longer term sense, I'm uh, working on a major article uh, on the whole history of the American-Iranian relationship that might take a couple of months to come out, but ultimately wow. will get published. Yeah, that sounds like an article and a possible book. Uh, could end up as a book. We'll see. There's a lot of material there. Some of it going back uh, to the time when I was uh, in Iran for a handful of summers in the 1970s. And I kind of had a ringside seat in those uh, last few years to what was building in that country, what uh, at least uh, my family understood was building in that country. Right on. Well, we look forward to that, Mark. So on that note, I want you to have an awesome day. And again, I want to thank all the VT listeners uh, for being here today. And everybody, just have a great week. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.